Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Rivals. Ernie, for that, for Ernie, I'm Monty, and together we are the Sports Rivals. We hope you enjoyed last week where we, for the first time we had two shows. Our first show was our normal show. Our second show released on Tuesday. We broke down every first one, math, first round matchup in the tournament so that you can win your bracket. And if you listen to us, you lost money. You are not going to win your bracket. I mean, Ernie, I think, let's just be honest. I think just generally speaking, you have two number one seats out. You have two number two seats out. I think most people's brackets are a little busted at this point in time. However, if you still have your final four in place, or at least your final two in place, you still have a fighting chance. And for both of us, since we have the exact same final four, right. we still have a chance. So for those of you that were following we uh we created a bracket with our friends at the uh, hawaii sports radio network so as of right now after the first two rounds i'm sad to say that i am not anywhere near the top <laughs> right now kule kule the host of the morning show wake up in the den she is in first place right behind her Ernie is tied for second with uh, Paul Breck, um, so he's still right there. And then there's also a third person um, that's a, one back of them, a gentleman named Bilster. So Kule, in heading into weekend two, is leading the Sports Rivals Challenge. I'm in seventh spot, <laughs> but at least I'm not Aaron Villa, <laughs> who's in tenth. I still have hope. Like I, like you know, I just said I, I'm seventh. I actually have two. I'm seventh and tenth. But because Alabama and Texas are still alive, my max total puts me in the top three, four. But I can't afford any more losses, or any. We cannot afford any more losses. Yeah, can't, can't. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at Kool Aid's bracket right now, and I, I like, I, I'm hoping that Miami wins because she's got Houston, and that's going to be in my Midwest bracket. And I did pretty good in my Midwest bracket. I, I lost two games, and in my West bracket, I've only lost one. So those were the brackets that were carrying me. Unfortunately, my, you know, my my East bracket got busted, especially with, you know, Purdue going down and uh, Arizona. Okay, so let's start. Let's real quickly, let's summarize what happened, and then we'll do a little bit of preview about what we expect in the Sweet 16. Um, let's start in the South. I mean, I think Alabama is now sitting really pretty, at least for, for someone like me who hasn't going all the way to the national championship. They benefited. Furman, of course, started the upset with Virginia that you had called. You had that one pegged there, which made it a little bit easier for San Diego State. Taking a step back, Ernie, 
all five seeds won this year. Unreal. All five I, seeds won. I picked three of the four. Yeah, to 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 get to upset and none of them. Exactly. So Alabama, they breeze through the first round. They breeze through the the second round with Maryland. San Diego State is sitting there uh, for them later. Creighton is also there, and then I think the shocker of the region was Princeton knocking off Arizona in the first round, and then coming right back and playing better and blowing out Missouri in the second round. So yeah. this is how it sets up in the South region. You have Alabama and San Diego State. You have Creighton and Princeton. So Ernie, let's break down what we expect out of the South. For me, it's Alabama and Creighton that should prevail, although I'll probably be cheering for Alabama and Princeton just because. Just because. But it's going to be Alabama and it's going to be Creighton. Uh, Princeton plays like Creighton, or should I say Creighton plays like Princeton. I think I, w I was shocked as everybody was when they uh, upset Arizona. I wasn't so shocked when they played Missouri. Especially early on looking at that game, I mean, uh, you knew that uh, Princeton was on their heels. They just couldn't keep up with the Princeton team that had the, their offense going. Uh, you know, Missouri was, was basically out of their game, so, but Creighton presents a bigger problem. They are not Missouri. They are, I mean, all their starters can score, and uh, like I said, uh, almost a mirror image of Princeton, but better. Right? Uh, Creighton should win that by double digits, in my, in, in my opinion. And I still like Alabama to make it out of this region. I, yeah. I, I think they should be able to handle San Diego State fairly easily, although San Diego State is tough. They're tough, they're physical, but I think Alabama has enough to get through them. And then Alabama Creighton will be a fun game. I mean, if, if it is Alabama Creighton, It'll be a fun, high-scoring affair. Yeah. If Creighton can can uh, hit from the outside, Alabama's going to have trouble. I mean, uh, Aaron Nebhardt's brother was dominating exactly. with 30 points this, this, uh, he averages, this past week. He averages 12 and he goes off for 30, and, and that's just one part of that team. It seems that when one, one, per, one or two people don't have to have a good game, the next man's up. I think Creighton got overlooked because they started the season hot and then they had a lot of injuries and they lost like six, six in a row. Yeah. And then they've come back strong and they're playing their best ball now. So let's switch over to the Midwest where I had a little bit more success. Uh, three out of my four teams are still alive in this particular region. Number one seed Houston struggled with Northern Kentucky. They almost lost that one before you know getting things done. Then in the next game against Auburn, they're down 10 at halftime, but they win going away by 17 points. The health of All-American guard Sasser, though, is still a question mark. He came up huge against Auburn, and they played dominant ball in the second half. So Houston against Miami. Miami took care of Drake in the first round, and then they took care of Indiana in the second round. So Miami advances for the second consecutive year to the Sweet 16. They're playing well. They're going to give Houston all they can handle they in, in that one. So I think at this point in time, you probably have to go with Houston, although I'm going to be cheering for Miami. I think Miami has a definite puncher's chance in that one. I picked Miami to win that game. I, I actually, I have Houston. My bracket has Houston versus Miami, Xavier, and Texas. So uh, I come out of the Midwest uh, looking pretty good. But I have Miami beating Houston uh, going into the eight. Miami, uh, their guard play is, is great. Uh, I Isaiah Wong is, 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 I mean, he'll, he, 
any given day, he can keep up with Sasser, in my opinion. It just, it just matters. Well, Isaiah Wong, the ACC Player of the Year this year, did not play well, in, well, did not score well in the first round, but came back with 27 points against Indiana to lead the charge there. So Miami's good, and and uh, Jim Laranaga is a great game, game coach. coach. Yeah. And so anytime you're in a, in a battle with Miami in this kind of a situation, they can certainly knock teams off and win. You're right there because I, I think that Indiana-Miami uh, game was dead even going into the half. Miami just took over on the second half, you know, uh, eventually winning by 16. So I'm with you right there. All right, so a, a great matchup between Xavier and Texas. I expected Xavier to get knocked off in the second round by Iowa State, who didn't even make it out of the first round. Xavier cruised over Pitt. That sets up a pretty interesting battle between Texas and Xavier, two versus three. I'm going with Texas because I need them to get to the championship game. Um, but that should be a, a barn burner because Xavier is playing better than I expected yeah. considering the injury that they suffered heading into the tournament. So I'm hopeful for Texas. Uh, I expect Texas to advance and to get out of this region ultimately, but it's not going to be easy. It's not. It's not. I, I don't think Texas is playing its best ball. Hopefully they're saving it, you know, for the Sweet 16 and beyond. Xavier has impressed me. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh, I, uh, for some reason, I... I just picked them for, for whatever reason. I really didn't delve into what they had. I mean, that was just basically a puncher's chance. Uh, in in for them getting in, uh, you know, getting to that uh, you know second round game. But they gave Xavier uh, more than what I expected, in my opinion. Although Xavier was in control most most of the game. I wouldn't expect one of the 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 last four in teams to give Xavier that much problem. Uh, tech, like you said, Texas is gonna have their hands full in this game. Uh, it wouldn't be surprised me if Xavier won, but let's go Longhorns. And so let's move over to the East, which is a complete utter disaster for me. I have nobody left. It starts off with the biggest shocker of the tournament so far, Fairleigh Dickinson knocking off number one seeded Purdue, 63 to 58 um, on the first day. Um, setting up a situation where it's fairly Dickinson versus Florida Atlantic so one of them had to advance Florida Atlantic did then what really killed me Ernie is Tennessee who I had losing in the first round to Louisiana not only beats Louisiana but they knock off Duke who I had advancing and in a shocker to me Tennessee has played really well and again the tournament sometimes can be about matchups and Tennessee really muddied it up as they talk about physical slowed it down gave Duke's problems and they advanced so now you're looking at a situation where we expected Tennessee to be out in the first round now they are one victory away over Florida Atlanta of making it into the Elite Eight, which is crazy. And then on the other side, we both had, um, well, I, I had Kentucky advancing over Kansas State. That didn't help him. Little man, five foot eight, Noel was just brilliant, especially in the second half, carrying them. And then who we both had in the Final Four, Marquette, gets knocked off by Michigan State. Michigan State was in control of this game for most of the game. Marquette had a short stretch there where they took a lead. Michigan State responded. And that was a killer because I thought Marquette was playing great ball. And I thought they were... I was fairly confident that they were going to at least get to the Elite Eight, and then I didn't know if they were going to be able to handle Duke. 
both of them don't have to worry about that because they're they're out. So Ernie, where do we go from here? Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Michigan State, Kansas State. Who do you like now to advance? Kansas State right now looked really good. I like them versus Kentucky. Kentucky, I thought was playing really good ball heading into the tournament. I mean they, you know, they they played well. Kansas State took them out of their game in my opinion. I I, I mean. Uh, you know, they got a good interior, good, very balanced team from Kansas State. I really like them. Although Tennessee has, uh, who I loved last year, doing the exact opposite to me this year when I hated them. Uh, they have the easier path. Uh, nothing against Florida Atlantic. I mean, uh, they're there for a reason, but uh, I think Tennessee should win that one. I think Kansas State, Kansas State will go against Michigan State. And there has always been, I'm not sure how many Final Fours, but I know there was a span of how many years, at least uh, maybe uh, five or six years ago, where a Final Four team has always been represented by a state school. It might be, this year might be Kansas State. It could be. I'm at a loss. I mean, to me, all four teams could advance out of this region at this point in time. I think Kansas State is playing the best. Uh, they were playing well towards the end of the year. They played decently in their tournament. They're playing well now. Michigan State has turned it on as they have been known to do before. I know I'm hoping that Kansas State gets out of this region. I would love to see them advance. Keontae Johnson, remember who two years ago when he was with Florida, dropped on the court, his heart stopped, nearly yeah, died, that's right. sat out for two years. He transferred this year to Kansas State, was an All-American, a uh, third-team All-American. And between him and Noel, uh, Noel, they are they are fabulous and, and, and they're fun to watch. So I'm hoping Kansas State gets out of this region, although Ernie... To me, it's 25, 25, 25, 25, and that includes Florida Atlantic. They are a lesser name, but they're 33 and three, um, and I have a feeling that they can compete with Tennessee, Kansas State, and Michigan State. So, whew, that region was blown up from the start. Yeah, it was brutal. Now let's head to the West. So again, Kansas gets surprised over the weekend by Arkansas. Arkansas knocks off a number one seed consecutive years. Last year, they took Gonzaga out at the same point in time. But, you know, Kansas was playing without Bill Self, and so hopefully Bill Self is on the way to recovery. He had some heart issues, a heart procedure that was done. He never could get there, and it's hard to play without your coach when you get into this point. Coaching does matter, so Kansas is knocked out. But other than that, I think this is the strongest region remaining, because you have 2-seed UCLA, 3-seed Gonzaga, 4-seed Connecticut, all still there and Arkansas is not going to be a slouch. So you have UConn winning the national championship. Right. We both have them making it to the Final Four. I want to spend a little bit of time here. I think UConn is going to knock off Arkansas. I think we both agree with that. But that Gonzaga-UCLA game is intriguing. UCLA had hard-fought first two games. They really had a hard fight against Northwestern. Gonzaga played well against Grand Canyon in the second half. They were real close in the first half, and that game against TCU was a battle the whole way. That was entertaining. Drew Timmy played brilliantly, and Ernie mentioned this off the air. His thought is that if it's going to be just a Drew Timmy show, 
they're going to have a struggle against UCLA. They so will. UCLA are a two-point favorite there. I am hopeful Gonzaga can knock them off uh, and advance to the Elite Eight where I have them. But your thoughts on the Gonzaga-UCLA game? Yeah, I just got a feeling. I mean, uh, I expected Gonzaga to have an easier time with Grand Canyon. Like you said, that was uh, they probably overlooked them, Grand Canyon. But second half of that game was all Gonzaga. TCU Gonzaga was back and forth. What a game. Yeah, TCU's a good team. Yeah, TCU had, uh, I think they had uh, a four or five point lead at the half and then boom, came right out. They went right to Timmy. Timmy was, if you saw that game and you'd be scratching your head on why this guy is in a uh, projected as a high draft pick because he certainly draft pick. Yeah, he's he certainly looked like somebody who could play in the NBA. I mean, he was uh, TCU had no answers for him. I mean, he was just at will getting to the basket and scoring at will. You know, and then and TCU played well. They're hitting their timely shots and whatnot. Uh, but like you. They're not going to do that against UCLA. UCLA has a way better. De- I think they got one of the best defenses uh, from the remaining teams left in the Sweet 16. They are a longer team than uh, TCU. They all give Timmy problems. So, with that said, the other the other uh, players from Gonzaga will have uh, will have to step up, or they all got to play in unison in order to beat UCLA. I don't think they can, uh, Gonzaga's going to answer for Jaime Hawkins. I mean, he's, he's, he's having a great tournament. I like UCLA. I'm surprised at the points, but I would have I picked this game by at least four or more. So I, I think it is going to be a battle. I mean, Julian Strother really led uh, um, Gonzaga against GCU in that first game. He was brilliant yeah. with 26, 28 points there. He did not have that same kind of game against TCU. He's going to have to come up big he will. Um, because it's not going to be just Drew Timmy. They are missing one of their starters, UCLA, but Bona is back. You know, he did play 20 minutes against Northwestern, so we'll have to see. We'll have to assume that he's going to continue to improve. That's another big body down low. But it's going to be these guards matchups. I mean, you have, you know, because uh, Jaime Hawkins is still considered a guard, they have a four-guard lineup. So how is Tiger Gonzaga going to match up with that? Yeah. I mean, there's Tiger against Nolan Hickman. Then, you know, um, I, I just don't know how they're going to match up with that. I'm curious to see how they're going to play because the best defender that Gonzaga has is Anton Watson. So if you're going to have him and Timmy in there, one of them is going to have to guard a smaller player. So I'm assuming that Timmy's going to guard Bona or Bana um, because he's the least of the threats there. But then who's going to match up with the others? I would guess Watson is going to pick up uh, Hawkes, and then we'll see how the guards match up. So it's going to be interesting. Gonzaga and UCLA play one of the best games they in history two years, two years ago, ago in the Final <laughs> Four. But so unfortunately for Gonzaga, they had Jalen Suggs back then. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Thursday night, to me, of all the matchups in the Sweet 16, maybe I'm showing a little bit of bias because I am a Gonzaga fan, but I think Gonzaga-UCLA is the marquee matchup in this next round. Yeah. 
I would I would say yeah because it's a two versus a three. I think that poses it obviously poses most of the problem. I uh, even though Xavier and Texas is, are are up there, I really think this Gonzaga UCLA uh, matchup uh, is more intriguing. I agree with you there. All right, so gang, that was a recap and a preview of March Madness. It was. Crazy. What its name is. It was pure madness. <laughs> um, it had your blends. You had the major, huge upsets, and then you also have some of your powers that are still there. But as we've seen in the past, usually the cream starts to ascend to the top, and hopefully that's going to be the case. Yeah. At least for Texas and Alabama, because we need to not Kool-Aid off the top of the throne for now. And for me, even more importantly than beating Kool-Aid is beating Ernie. I got to get back ahead of Ernie, and that starts with Miami losing to Houston. <laughs> All right, again, that's Ernie Imonti. Together, we are the sports rivals. And before we switch our focus to the NBA, where I have some thoughts and some heartbreaking losses by my Lakers, Ernie, the World Baseball Classic, we alluded to this last week that we talked a little bit more we're now down to the championship game just as we're recording japan scores two runs in the bottom of the ninth to knock off mexico in a thrilling game to match up tomorrow night with the united states so taking a step back i think this event is like the world cup of soccer everyone's familiar with for baseball in its infancy. Yeah, in, in its infancy because there's so many, there's so much fewer teams that are participating, but the energy and the passion exhibited and the commitment by superstar players to all play for their countries was remarkable. I mean, every, you had Freddie Freeman playing for Canada. Of course, you have Shohei leading the charge in Japan. The Dominican Republic team was absolutely loaded with Juan Soto, Manny Machado, and the likes. Puerto Rico, Francisco Lindor, and the likes. Venezuela with Jose Altuve. It was superstars galore. Their willingness to participate, I think, is what makes this special. But it kind of shows you, and this is where I get excited. I mean, I bombed on like the NBA a couple of weeks ago in terms of them not caring about the end user. Right. What was encouraging to me about this World Baseball Classic is that all the superstars took it upon themselves to play for their countries for free. Mm -hmm. you know, and Jose Altuve got beamed uh, the other night. He broke his thumb. He's out indefinitely. Edwin Diaz, uh, the closer for Puerto Rico, the closer for, for the New York Mets, celebrating their team's victory and knocking out the Dominican Republic, jumping up and down, tears his knee. He's out for the year. Oh so God. it does have some casualties, which makes me worry that people are going to be like, yeah, it's not worth playing. But when you see the passion the players have and you see the passion in the stands it's been fabulous for baseball fans to see that kind of excitement worldwide yeah. and, and that's what baseball needs because baseball is boring and baseball does not appeal to the masses so having something like this where you see this excitement this passion all of our best players, Mookie, Trout, Goldschmidt, all representing the United States is is uh, it's really nice to see. So tomorrow night, Ernie, it's the USA against Japan. Japan will throw uh, Shohei Otani, so I think they're gonna have the advantage there because if there's one weakness in this American team, it's our pitching. We don't have, we definitely don't have superstar starters. We use Adam Rainwright 
Your St. Louis Cardinal yesterday with Mikolas, another Cardinal backing him up. I'm not sure who they're going to throw tomorrow, but they're going to have to get to Shohei because uh, they got Japan's going to have their ace going. Is this a four-year tournament like the World Cup and like you know? The other you know, Cup? it was supposed to be every other year, but because of COVID, it has not happened since 2017 and uh, and other things. So it's been five years. So I think that has really helped fuel some of that energy of not having it for five years. Um, but it's every other year is what it was intent was. And okay. so the United States are now playing for their second consecutive in their second consecutive championship game. It's gonna be interesting. United States versus Japan tomorrow oh, yeah. night oh, yeah. in Miami for the World Baseball Classic yeah, I, Championship. The only thing that I feel bad for the US team is that I mean I'm it it, I, it doesn't collide with uh you know March Madness being that uh, you know the next games are scheduled for a Thursday. Uh, but I kind of wish that they uh, they did this a week earlier. That way they they stand by themselves in regards to uh, notoriety, in regards to what's headlining this. Yeah, because once they got to the quarterfinals or their version of the knockout round, as right. we refer back to to soccer, it was one game Thursday, one game Friday, one game Saturday, one game Sunday. And you're right, you know those games were lost in the first and second round of March Madness. Right. So you have to really be paying attention to kind of see what the excitement level was. So yeah, you're right. I mean, if this was done before this tournament had started. I think that would be neat. But with Shohei leading the charge for Japan against the U.S., I would expect big ratings on FS1 tomorrow night. I know I'm going to be tuning in to check out the USA versus Japan in the World Basketball Classic, Baseball Classic. So, NBA. Let's start with Ernie, whose Boston Celtics are a little bit higher than, than my Los Angeles Lakers because it's been a painful week for Laker fans. But let's go to Ernie. How's the Celtics situation? They don't look to be peaking right now. The Sixers are on fire. The Bucks are kind of treading water. But so is the, the Celtics. Yeah, the Celtics aren't even treading water. I mean, they've gone five out of five out of ten, you know, in their last ten. I mean, uh, and really in disappointing fashion. I think in all five of those losses, uh, other than one, they've lost uh, e- either at the line, uh, in overtime, or by one or two points. And in each of those games, they've had close to twenty point leads. Uh, which means uh, they're blowing them out and they just took their foot off the gas and, you know, let the other team in. And that's that's what's very disappointing. I mean, it's gotten the Boston Celtic fan base up in arms against Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum has been, uh, although his uh, stat lines look good as far as points are concerned, a lot of them have been on the line and he's been shooting terribly from from three-point range. I, I, think, I think in the last two or three games... He's shooting maybe 20% from three, and he's, it's not like this guy is shooting only five or six threes. He's putting up double-digit attempts, you know, on average on each of those games. So it, it really uh, makes him look bad. But I'm one of those Celtic fans. I look, take a look at the big picture. I take a look at the fact that, you know what, they don't have starters. Uh, they have starters in and out in most of these. They didn't have Rob Williams for, for any of these games. Uh... Malcolm Brogdon has been out for a handful of these games, you know, as well as Marcus Smart. So, you know, they haven't had their, uh, you know, their full lineup ready for them. And again, they, they've been leading the East for most of the year. So you kind of expect this 
hosting, at least I expected it uh, in some form or fashion, not like this. I thought it would be closer games. What disappoints me is that they had big leads. But when it comes down to it, they were in every single one of the, these games. They, were, they, they had the biggest point spread in each one of these games. Uh, it's just the fact that they lose to the Houston's. They lose to the Utah Jazz. You know, uh, that's the part that disappoints me. They still have a shot. Uh, they right now they were in third place. Now they're back into second place uh, because Philadelphia lost today. But they play Milwaukee at the end of the month and then Philadelphia again. So those two are going to be two big games. Yeah, you know, because all year they've been in first place. They've been trailing now for about a week or so, and Philadelphia caught them. You know, they did yeah. lose tonight, so now they're half a game back. But they're tied in the loss column. So Philadelphia has been playing really well. I know you talked about not caring about the home court advantage too much, but I don't know, if they had to go to Philly in a best of seven and to Milwaukee in a best of seven, that would be asking a lot. That's I mean, tough. as good as they are, last year Boston was spectacular the second half of the year. Whether they go like 30 and 10, if, if that, it was some yeah. obscene record. This year, it's it's the opposite. You know, where they were red hot to start the year and now they're mediocre in the second half. 10 games left, can they flip that switch? That's the question. I mean, they're young enough, so it could be that where they're just not motivated enough to be motivated all the time. But man, sometimes it's hard to flip the switch. You know, they learned last year. They carried that momentum all the way to very close to a world championship. Um, this year, they're going a different route. So it'll be interesting to see if they can flip a switch. The rest is kind of status quo. Uh, Julius Randle goes for 57 points tonight in a losing cause. So we're going to transition to the West with my Lakers. And it has been heartbreak for them. After Boston loses to the, the Rockets, it gives the Rockets confidence, and they come out and they knock off the Lakers in the very next game. And then the real heartbreak was on Friday night, where the Lakers were leading Dallas for almost a whole game. They're up by five with like seven seconds left, and they lose. You know, AD, for some inexplicable reason, fouls uh, Maxi Kleber on a three-point shot. He hits all three free throws. He then gets fouled. He misses one free throw, and Cleaver hits a three at the yeah, buzzer, yeah, yeah. and the Lakers lose. I and that it. was devastating. So as of right now, tonight, everything that could have happened bad did happen. The Timberwolves, we just mentioned that they beat the Knicks. Oklahoma City, they're hot. They won again. Utah, they knock off Sacramento. So Utah is now in 10th. The Lakers are now in 11. Now, the good news is they're still only a game and a half out of six. But as of right now, the Los Angeles Lakers are out of the playoffs. So Anthony Davis, for all of his strengths, have had two bad situations in games that they lost. And it, it, it seems pretty evident. The Lakers are going to go as far as AD can carry them. He didn't play against the Rockets that game, he, and they lose. He made a big blunder against the Mavericks, and they lose. Um, yeah, this Laker team is... If it wasn't for Austin Reeves' 35 <laughs> points last night, they would have lost to Orlando at home. So it, it, it doesn't it doesn't really look good for my Lakers, even if somehow they can sneak in. I don't even know if they would get out of the 7-10 to 10 playoff because, you know, assuming Luka gets back, they're a bad matchup for us. 
Uh, Minnesota with the big guys, they could be a problem. And Oklahoma City, they're a young, up-and-coming team, and they, they're going to have the energy. So the Lakers had their opportunities on two occasions last week to secure a spot and they blew it losing to the Rockets and blew it especially losing to the Mavericks. This is how close it is already. Had we beat the Mavericks, we would be 36 and 36. We would be the seventh seed at this point in time. Yeah. You know, instead, we're the 11th seed and we're out of the playoffs just because that guy hit the three-pointer to knock us off. So it's heartbreak for the Lakers. All of us Laker fans that are clinging to hope Forget about it or anything. <laughs> I, well, I mean, what do they have? They have they have 11 games left, so I think there's still a chance. I mean, look at it. They're they're a game out of sixth place. Yeah, I mean, we we have yeah, we're, well, we're one and a half games out of that Golden State because Golden State won tonight. So at the end of the day, you have to string together some wins because everybody's playing each other, and at some point in time, the teams at the bottom, like Portland, announced last night that if they don't make up ground, and they're not, they you know they're now 16 and a half games back. They're gonna just sit Dane for the rest of the year, mm-hmm. so they're gonna be starting to tank so we all know that the spurs are tanking the rockets though they're showing a little spunk they got on a little three-game winning streak after the celtics i blame the celtics they gave them confidence and hope <laughs> they should have squashed them right there but well, no no i think they, i think they know because uh one two three are even odds at 14 percent for that number one pick so i think as long as they finish in the bottom three which they are most certain of doing so even if they win out so I think they were just playing bad ball, and now they're, you know, showing the NBA that, at least showing their team that, hey, if we play the right way, we can be competitive. Oh, that was a job. <laughs> but but, you're, but you're, you're right. You're Lakers. You're Lakers. I think they need to be in that seventh spot to have any chance of, you know, getting out of that yeah. play. I mean, they that. certainly can beat anyone, but they certainly can lose to anyone. And really, the way the Nuggets have played recently over the last couple of weeks, they're, they're just like your Celtics. Yeah. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They haven't been. They've lost some questionable games to some teams that you wouldn't think that they would lose to. In fact, I believe that Joel Embiid has passed Nikola Jokic yes. now as the MVP because they're fading down the stretch. Even if their records are similar, one is fading down the stretch, one is peaking down the stretch. Exactly. One has his team red hot moving up the standings. The other one is still in first place, but they're coming back down. But there's nobody in the West, nobody from zero through ten that is the Lakers would be afraid of. Anyone could win. I mean, we could have a situation where the Minnesota Timberwolves could be in the in the championship series, which I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. But Ernie, John Morant, rumor is he may come back Wednesday night. I saw that. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what ja, how he comes back, whether he comes back with a little bit less attitude. You know what I think it is too, Ernie? I know he has his posse outside, but Memphis has taken pride in creating this thug mentality on the court Dylan Brooks and many of them they, they have this thuggish behavior so I think for him at this point in time it probably behooves them to tune it back a little bit right. because if you play like that and you're at, you're constantly agitated it's going to be hard for him to try to keep his composure keep his 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 
from overreacting and doing certain things. So I'm, I'm curious to see, can he come back, be as aggressive as he normally is, or is he going to be still worried about doing the right thing, doing the wrong thing? We'll see. We'll see what happens with Memphis. For now, East, Boston, Sixers, Bucks, West, a complete free-for-all. I was listening to, to The Odd Couple today, and, and Chris Broussard was saying, in the 40 years that he's been covering the NBA, he doesn't remember a time that in any of the conferences, it was completely wide open, where there is no definitive favorite yeah. at all. I mean, any team at this point can get hot. Injuries are going to play a role. Availability is going to play a role. Can you stay healthy for four consecutive series is going to be very, very important. Um, the teams that were strong defensive teams like Golden State are no longer that way. If they don't get Andrew Wiggins back, they're not the same team. They continue to struggle on the road. Jordan Poole has been struggling for the last week or so since he went back to the bench. Um, we don't know what to expect out of John Morant. The Nuggets are not a good defensive team. They win with offensive efficiency, and if that goes away, they're vulnerable. Kevin Durant, who knows if he comes back. It's like, it's like a complete free-for-all in the West. Now, does that make for exciting TV? Maybe, but I think we've always seen through the history of sports, but especially the NBA, the NBA is most popular when you have dominant teams. Lakers, Celtics, Michael Jordan's Bulls, Lakers with Shaq and Kobe, um, the Heat, when they're, and Golden State. When, they, when you have that dominant team, I think that's what people gravitate towards in a complete wide open mess. I think everybody may have hope, but I don't know if that's exciting for the masses. Yeah, I think if, if the NBA had it this way, it would be a repeat of last year. I think they would like the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics to represent each conference. Really? Boston Celtics? <laughs> Who wants that, Ernie? <laughs> you know, I, I... Do you people in Milwaukee <laughs> and Philadelphia really want that? <laughs> uh, I, I, I really... It, if it's not Boston, it would be so over Milwaukee just because of the market situation over there. Oh, yeah. yeah what I mean, they would really want is for the Knicks to somehow get in there and get yeah. the New York market in, but I doubt that is, that's not going to happen. I really doubt it. Yeah, the West is really wild open. It remains to be seen if Sacramento is for real. I always hold, I will be watching them very closely tomorrow when they play my Celtics. It's funny because their home record is worse than their road record. You know, even though they are currently the number three seed, you know, in the West, they're one of the better teams. Uh, and maybe they were maybe they were looking forward to the Celtics because they lost tonight at Utah, so they're going to be playing back to back. Advantage Celtics there. It, it, it could be advantage Celtics. And Celtics have listed their roster to everybody's playing. Well, getting, that urgency is probably for the best. Yeah. I think they have to kick in this urgency. Yeah, Rob Williams, who's been out for the last ten games, is back. That bodes well for the Celtics. So that's a lot of NBA talk. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL. Not a whole lot happened this week. I think lots more happened last week. There have been some signings here and there, but nothing really earth-shattering. I did see this, Ernie, about my, my Rams. So this is, again, as depressing as the Lakers situation is, the Rams situation is looking even more bleak. <laughs> The Rams, right now, you can have full rosters. So most of the teams have, you know, 75 to 80% of their roster filled. You can have 90 guys technically on your roster. The Rams, Ernie, 
only 44 people on their roster. <laughs> the worst part, they have $11 million to fill out the rest of the roster. <laughs> so at this point, you, you see in chat rooms, the Rams fans are like, man, who are we going to get? Man, we got to go get OBJ. We got to go get this. Guys, you, we can't even afford Ernie and Monty to play for the Rams at this point. $11 million to fuel the team with the draft that's still coming. We have $50-plus million in dead money that we're going to have to eat in Jalen and Bobby Wagner. So it really looks like the Rams are going to go into a little mini tank here uh, this year. Hopefully they get Caleb Williams out of USC. But... <laughs> I think the Rams are too good with people like Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford and Aaron Donald to go into a full tank. But if you go and look up, go to ESPN.com or your favorite website, click on the Rams, click on their roster. It's pretty pathetic right now, the people that are on their team. They've got nobody there with very little hope for the future. So I saw Devin Bush sign with the Seattle Seahawks, right? You know, so he's moved on. The Steelers have made a couple of minor, minor, minor moves, but anything that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I mean, they got they switched up their inside linebackers. You mentioned Devin Bush. They also got... Uh, uh, Miles Jack, they Miles cut Jack, too. Yeah, they just recently cut. They replaced them with... Uh, What's his name? Cole. Forget his name. Cole. Cole. Home. Home. I forget. Cole something from the Washington uh, Commanders, as well as Eladen from uh, the Miami Dolphins. Two, two, from what I've been seeing, two better, more capable uh, inside linebackers. That was a weakness of the Steelers last year. They also upgraded their line. uh, Local boy. Uh, Nate Herbrig, Nate Herbrig, as well as uh, at least a Polynesian, not from Hawaii, from via Oregon, uh, Joe uh, Siamalu, who played, who was, uh, who played on that Super Bowl team with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, they signed him too. They signed him too. Oh, that's a great that's signing a, for them. It's, it's terrific signing. And they got Patrick Peterson to be a cornerback there. I mean, right. he's not the same Patrick Peterson. Not the same. He should be able to. to to contribute, you know, so you're happy with your offseason, I can I see. I, the team that I think is having a good offseason, and I know my brother-in-law is a big Dallas Cowboy friend, is one of my, my, my best friends at, at work, is Dallas. I mean, I think they did a good job in letting Zeke finally go. They read they franchise Pollard. They made a trade yesterday for Brandon Cook, so they get that speed at receiver. All they had to give up was a fifth round pick and a sixth round pick. Um, they made earlier deals for for depth on the defensive side of the ball, practically giving up nothing. So their team is virtually intact now. In the draft, they have to show off that offensive line that has gotten very, very old very, very quickly. But Dallas can be a problem because Philadelphia has lost some pieces. They lost a lot of pieces. Philadelphia has lost a lot of pieces on that defense, and, and Dallas looks to be... To me, Dallas has won the offseason. They did lose Dalton Schultz today. He signed with the Houston Texans, so something had to give. But I like what Dallas has done so far, probably more than any other team other than the Bears, who I still love that deal that they made with the Carolina Panthers. I think they're sitting pretty with the deal that they made there. But they can still screw it up. Just because you make a good deal yeah. doesn't mean that it's going to translate yeah. into good results. He's actually got to pick they, the right player. Yes, yeah, <laughs> they have to actually 
be execute from this point this point out. But I like what Dallas has done so far. Uh, I like what Miami has done. I mean, adding Jalen Ramsey to that team, they are going Rams 2021. Miami is all in right now to win it. Problem is. Tua's got to stay healthy. And yeah. for all us Hawaii fans, huge Tua Tonkovailoa fans, we definitely want to see him stay healthy. And if my Rams are going to suck, go Miami. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, as long as you're getting Pittsburgh way, go Miami. <laughs> <laughs> but the 49ers did well. They signed Javon Hargrave. Uh, you know, uh, a big piece in that front line for the Philadelphia The number team. one overall ranked free agent of yep. 49ers. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Well, you have to remind me about what the 49ers get, they did. They just get stronger on, on defense, and Mariota finds a new place in in Philadelphia. To back up, which is, yeah. which is a which is great fit. So if something happens to Jalen Hurts, Marcus can step right in and play oh, yeah. similarly. Oh, yeah. Versus what Gardner Minshew did, who now looks like he's going to be the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Jacoby Brissett with the Commanders. Uh, and I hear Magic Johnson is trying to make a bid for the Washington Commanders. That same group that bought the Dodgers are now trying for the Commanders. I do not want that to happen. I don't want Magic buying the Commanders. Let Jeff Bezos handle that. You know what? Magic is a businessman. That's why he's still. He, that's why he's one of the OGs who are keeping up with the new guys as far as hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. The guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, he definitely knows what he's doing, but don't go to the Washington <laughs> <laughs> Stay in L.A. Stay in the L.A. area. All right, I want to transition to my closing thought. And again, I actually meant to cover this last week uh, in regards to college basketball. Ernie's favorite team, the North Carolina Tar Heels, are not participating in the, in the NCAA. They did not get a bid. They decided against playing in the NIT. There was Habuteru, for those of you in Hawaii, you know what that means and they decided not to play so the question is they were runner-up last year for the national championship they brought most of their starters back this year they were the preseason number one ranked team are they the biggest disappointment in the history of NCAA basketball at least modern history yes. considering the expectations so Ernie says yes yeah. um, they are the only team to start number one that didn't make it their 13 losses was the most ever by a preseason oh number one team so the stats back Ernie up but I have a different take now, by the standards of they were the number one team, are they the biggest disappointment? A case can definitely be made. But here's my thought. The North Carolina Tar Heels struggled last year up until about the beginning of February. Then they got red hot, which yeah. led them to win the conference tournament in the ACC. They entered the NCAA tournament as an eight seed, but red hot. And they carried that all the way to just barely missing out on a national championship. So the, to me, the question becomes, were they a dominant team? Was, the, was it realistic to expect them to be the number one ranked team in the nation? Or were they a team that just got hot for four weeks or six weeks last year? Yeah, and I think after you see the results this year, I think the North Carolina Tar Heels are more what they were last year for most of the year and not what they were for the six weeks of the ACC tournament and the and March Madness. Um, because when you take a look at their players, yes, they're great. Baycott was an All-American first team last year. He was still a third-team All-American this year. Um, you have, you know, Caleb Love, and you have R.J. Davis, and you still have Leaky Black. Uh, and you lost Manic, but you replaced him with Nance from Northwestern, so you thought you had that same thing. 
They brought in some really good recruits, so you kind of expected that they were going to take off, um, but it just never really happened. But none of these players, Ernie, are NBA prospects. No. Not one. No. They're not of them are in the top 60. So not Baycott, not Love, not Davis, not Nance, not, not Leaky Black. So are we expecting them to be what they maybe aren't? Uh, and I think that's the case. I think North Carolina had a brilliant postseason last year, but I think that mediocre is probably the right word. Maybe it's a little harsh, but I think North Carolina for most of the last two seasons have been a also ran, a 20 and 12 type of a team. They got red hot last year and almost turned that into a national championship. So I think North Carolina has some work to do. Like, what's going to happen now? Does Baycott come back for his COVID fifth year, or does he just leave already? The fact that he celebrated senior day leads me to believe that he's probably going to leave. What happens with Caleb Love, who's been flirting with the NBA? Maybe he leaves. I don't think he's going to make it, but maybe he just leaves already. R.J. Davis, I think, will come back, and I think he's going to be the leader of that team. He's my favorite Tar Heel. Mm -hmm. I think when he plays really, really well, they're awfully hard to beat. Um, but they're going to need some of their young players to step up. Two of them have already entered the transfer portal. So we'll have to see what shakes out. So the reason why I say this is not to badger them. I'm trying to defend North Carolina that I think the expectations on them this year were unrealistic. And I think that's more on us than it is on them. Just because they went to the championship game does not mean that they were the best team. And I think that played out over the year this year. That's your favorite team. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> At the same point, North Carolina, you know, Excuse me. far gone from, you know, uh, the Michael Jordan, North Carolina days, Sam Perkins days, way far gone. Uh, if you look at the NBA at this point in time, name me your most potent uh, player from North Carolina. I mean, Cam Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Cam Johnson, Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony uh, I mean, Kobe White. I mean, I mean, there aren't no there impact, no no high impact, no high impact. But yet, they have won national championships uh, or have been in those games. They they've been well representatives, uh, you know, in the NCAA tournament. Over the last 20 years. Or even over the last 10 years, they had two national championships yes. and two second-place finishes. They, you know, they lost that heartbreaker to Villanova no ball, right? and then that heartbreaker yeah. last year. So it seems like when they're good, they really know how to turn it on and get to the, and get to the finish. And that's part of it. That's part of the lore of being uh, uh, North Carolina. A lot of it has to do with that's what's expected out of you. You because you come from you play for North Carolina, because you wear, you know, Carolina blue, it doesn't matter who you have on the team, whether you're mediocre or not, you are expected to go one, to the big dance. Yeah, you're one of the blue bloods. You're like yeah. Duke, you're like Kansas, Kentucky, you get everybody's best shot. You get everybody's exactly. best shot because you are the big kids on the block. You are expected to win national championships or at a minimum get to the final four year after year after year, year after year. year. Exactly. And, and you know what? There's, there's going to be, if, if uh, Hubert Davis doesn't bring him back next year and they, and, and they disappoint again, 
there's going to be some there's gonna, there's going to be like there is now for John Calipari because yep. it's been a while since Kentucky has been really really good now the advantage that Calipari has and they're not going to get rid of him because he's already signed the number one recruiting class in college basketball so you're not going to get rid of him when you got the number one class coming in but even he's starting to face chatter like you're not winning. You're yeah. not winning enough. You're not winning national championships exactly. every year. You're not getting us to the Final Four every year. What's up with you? Yeah. Uh, and that, that's, that's something that's uh, a, a real problem. You see this. So I agree with you. Is it fair? No. But for what you've inherited or for what they are, that's just the way it is. That is. That, it is. It, it comes with, if you're willing to put the Tar Heel jersey on, you have to expect that national championships are expected of you. And I don't fault the players because they play hard. Mm -hmm. Like, Baycott, to me, gets the most out of his athletic ability because he's not highly athletic, yet he's a 12-rebound guy, a 17-point guy. He works really hard. He could find himself some kind of a role as a rebounder only at the NBA level, but he's kind of slow. I think he has Drew Timmy syndrome that in a one-on-one, they're not going to be able to guard anyone. Guys will go right past them continually. So maybe the two of them can hook up in France with my daughter's boyfriend's brother who plays for the Nice team in France's professional league. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's the extent of their careers for both Timmy. Although Timmy, if he plays like he did in his last uh, in his last game, man, that guy he he, he was impressing me. If Timmy wants to be, I don't think he's going to play in the NBA because he's too slow. I, I honestly believe that he can't defend, and he doesn't shoot the ball, and he's not improved that part of his yeah, game in yeah. four years, which is going to be a problem. But with his footwork, I can see him dominating in Europe. Yeah. And you can make a lot of money, money dominating in Europe, yeah. but he has to really want to do that. He's a big podcast star now, kind of like Ernie and I. <laughs> <laughs> so he may not want to go to the professional leagues in Europe, just like we choose not to go <laughs> to the big time. <laughs> We're comfortable in our own right. So, gang, it's been a great week. March Madness is my favorite time of the year. So much basketball. It's wonderful. World basketball, baseball, I keep saying basketball, World Baseball Classic, championship game, United States and Japan. So nice to see the passion of the players playing for free, playing for the love of the game, playing for their countries. It's just really, really nice to see that. NBA talk, Boston still in the thick of it. Ernie not happy with their play. They have 10 games to turn it around and get into the playoffs the way they were last year, ascending, not plateauing and or descending. And then my Lakers, they are the absolute (laughs) epitome of their, they they should have the Laker picture on an Alka-Seltzer commercial because they are the number one heartburn reason for Laker fans in the Los Angeles area. They just cannot get out of their own way. It's amazing. If they had won half of these close games that they've lost this year, they'd be up there with the Nuggets. But anyway, that's a different rant for another week. All right, gang. Hey, Ernie, anything else? No, I'm just excited. Like you said, best time of the year. we got the Masters coming up, NBA playoffs, a lot of things happening. NFL draft coming up, exactly. so we'll, we'll look forward uh, to April that. 27, but again, we want your participation. Tell us what you think. Again, it's Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. And again, don't forget, check out Kool-Aid, Alan Mia, and Paul every 
every morning on Wake Up in the Den, 8 a.m. till 9 a.m. here local time in Honolulu on 760 a.m. 95.1 FM on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We're part to be a part of them. We are hopeful that we'll not cool it off the top of the bracket. I hope she goes and unfortunately knock her any off the top of the bracket, and I will ascend to the top with my Alabama Crimson Tide and Texas Longhorns leading the charge. All right, gang, until next week, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.